Proverbs chapter number 14 tonight. Go down to verse number seven. We left, we finished verse number six, one through six last week. We'll be verses seven through 12 tonight. And so we're making good progress through this chapter and we'll probably be done with it by Christmas. Look at verse number seven. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. And the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger does not intermeddle with his joy. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the unright shall flourish. There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, so thankful tonight that our sins are gone. Lord, they've been removed, they've been cast out, Lord, they've been paid for, dealt with, Lord, we've been redeemed, bought with the price. And Lord, I'm so thankful tonight, Lord, that I'll never have to answer for my sin, Lord, because I didn't have an answer that suited you. I didn't have an answer that satisfied you. I didn't have an answer, God, that would put you onto my side. But thankfully, Lord, you loved me enough that you sent your son to die for me, to pay the wage of my sin debt, Lord, not just mine, but for every man and every woman that's ever been born. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're, you're God enough to do that, Lord. And I always can't wrap my mind around it, Lord, but I sure do believe it and I sure have experienced your forgiveness tonight and I'm grateful for it. And I pray, Lord, tonight as we get into the word of God tonight, I pray, Lord, you just, Lord, settle our hearts, help us to, Lord, listen with the purpose tonight, Lord, myself included. And I help me to listen to my own preaching this evening. And I pray, Lord, you just get me out of the way, Lord, and uh, Lord, get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit this evening. Lord, let me just be a mouthpiece that honors you, a vessel in the hands of the master tonight. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that, Lord, there's been some good news. Lord, there's been some bad news this week. And Lord, you're God of all of it. And I'm thankful for that, for that this evening. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, if you've never... Uh, prepared a sermon tonight, you, you may not be able, be able to identify with, with what I'm about to tell you, but sometimes while I'm preparing a sermon, praying and studying and asking the Lord, Lord, Lord how, is a, how is a good way to illustrate this? How is a good way to introduce this? How is a, a good way to, to bring it on to our level, so to speak? And, and I don't know, sometimes the Lord, you know, he'll give me some things and bring some things to back to my memory. I'm thinking, how in the world... Does that even make sense? But we talked about it last week, how Proverbs 14, is, it consists of all these, these short sentences, these short phrases that are, that are impactful. They're, they're full of wisdom, but they are as if they're hopping from one thing to the next, back and forth, back and forth. And as I was studying, getting things ready for this evening, I, all I could think about, how many of y'all have ever heard of bite-sized candy? I don't know, it might have been because Halloween, Halloween just happened yesterday and I knew there's a lot of candy and all that different kind of thing, but I feel like I remember in my young age and when I was a younger a boy that all of a sudden they begin to bring out things called bite-sized candies. And I remember the day that M&M Minis came out and everybody was so excited that you could get M&Ms but smaller. And uh, they charged you uh, the same price, but they were just small. But I remember everything, everything was bite-sized and the more I got to thinking about that, this term bite size, what exactly are these companies trying to tell me or what are they trying to sell me? Why do they have to make something bite sized instead of 
king-sized or giant-sized or shareable-sized or whatever the size is. Listen, if you're gonna ask me, preacher, would you rather have bite-sized Reese's Cups or would you rather have king-sized Reese's Cups? Both. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I don't like to make decisions like that. Just give me both and everything will be all right. But we see here tonight this thought of bite-sized. Why did they have to make some things bite-sized? matter of fact, the more I began to think about it, the less it began to make sense to me. Why do they have to make them smaller? Maybe, maybe they can't trust you with king-sized items. You can't handle king-sized, you need bite-sized. You are not man enough, you're not woman enough to, to con control yourself with king-sized, therefore you have to have bite-sized. Or maybe you aren't smart enough to determine the size of your own bite. And so the candy company has said, hey, we, we, we are gonna take that problem out of your hands and here is the size of your bite, and here's the thing, I don't know about you, but bite size has never, never been too much for me to handle. Matter of fact, you can give me three or four bite-sized uh, pieces of candy and I can fit them in my mouth with no problem. But it's like the, the candy company, well listen, you're not smart enough to determine that, so we gotta determine that for you. And I begin to think about it some more. Here's probably the real reason why they invented bite-sized inflation, and they, they had to figure out a way to give us less and charge us more for it and for us to feel better about it. And so they came up with the term bite size. They can give you less, charge you more, and you feel like you're doing the right thing. I've controlled myself. That was just one bite-sized piece of candy. And I paid just as much as I would for a regular piece of candy, but it's just bite-sized. Now, here's the thing tonight as we get into Proverbs 14, verses 7 through 12. These are some bite-sized verses. They are, they are just short verses to the point, uh, and they are, they are, they're quick. You can read through them quickly. They're bite-sized, but they carry king-sized truths. They carry king-sized wisdom for you and I tonight. And So notice number one tonight, we're gonna check out these bite-sized truths. Notice the practice of removal. Number one, the practice of removal. Look at verse number seven. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of not. Now, we just came through missions month. We've been talking about go all of October. It is officially uh, November 1st. It's Shiloh's birthday and baby Judah's birthday now. And, and it seemed like November 1st, it's first day of November, the weather changed completely. It's cold outside today or a lot cooler outside than it has been. But notice here tonight that we've been talking about go all of October. Go ye therefore preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We, we talked about it week after week after week after week, but we never got into this portion of Proverbs and we never dealt with this go. This is not a, a great commission verse, but it is a go verse, right? It tells us to go from the presence of a foolish Man, this verse isn't just a principle to, be, uh, to, to know, but it's to be practiced and to be put in to action, right? God didn't give us Psalm, Proverbs 14, verse seven, so we could say, oh, that's a great verse. That is a great truth. But how many of you know that we have ran into some people whose lips give away their foolishness? Now, we say, preacher, what in the world was a foolish? I, I, I don't think I'd ever stand up and, and call somebody foolish preacher. Well, biblically speaking, a foolish person who is, is one who has heard and understands the truth, but rather instead of incorporating it and accepting it, they reject it. Foolish thing to do. And the same is true in our life as well as Christians when God deals with us and we push them away. That's just as foolish tonight. But notice here, it's not, it's not a, a preconceived prejudice. 
Right, in essence, you and I are not called to go and say, well, them folks over there look foolish. Now, we're living in 2023. You go to Walmart, you'll see what we'd call some foolishly dressed people and, and foolishly dressed outfits and hair colors and hairstyles. We, that's not what we're talking about tonight. It is not you and I to step back and say, well, Lord, obviously that's a foolish person. But, and, they, and they may be, but how, how does one know that? It's not just from a preconceived idea, but it's as you begin to converse with them, their lips are going to give them away. Why? Out of the mouth, the abundance of the heart speaketh. And so we understand tonight, it's when, so preacher, how, how, can I, how can I discern between uh, somebody that I need to continue on with and, and go further with, or should I practice verse number seven and go from the presence of them? How do I know? And really, it comes down to their attitude. Now, you would have never thought this in America, but we are becoming a biblically illiterate country. And we're not just seeing it in, in the older generations. We're seeing it in the younger generations who, who a church, what is that? And what is a Bible? And, 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 and what, is, what, is, what, are, what are you talking about? I've never heard this. Can I say tonight that did not shock me when I was over in a foreign country, but it does shock me in America. But these, these young kids are growing up this kind of generation. So I'm not talking about those uh, that, that when, when you give the gospel to them or you give them biblical truth, they stare back at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They've never heard this, but they are, they are respectful and they are receiving it, though they're not comprehending it. I'm talking to those that when you present and you begin to talk, whether it's the gospel, biblical truth, different things like that, and, and their, their heart is not to accept it, but they buck up and they begin to argue begin to argue with you. They become argumentative. I, 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 don't, I don't personally believe tonight that it is my job to win arguments. Can I say for a little bit of my Christian life, I thought that was so. I thought, man, I've got to have a quick answer. I've got to have a, a quick snap back at them. I've I got to be able to whip them. I, I gotta, my IQ's got to be better than theirs. Can I say tonight that the power of the gospel is not in my intellect, but it is in the word of God tonight. And here's the thing tonight, I don't know about you, but when I read the word of God, the Holy Spirit convicts my heart. He, he challenges my heart. He encourages me. He strengthens me. He helps me as I begin to read his word tonight. And, and listen, if he can't do that to them, you're not going to be able to do it to me either. <laughs> and so we see tonight the, the practice of removal. But, but once it's revealed, what are we to do, preacher? Go. That's what the Bible says right there. Go from the presence of a foolish man. Now, why would God tell you and I to remove ourselves from a situation like this? Because time is valuable. God knows our time better than we know our own time tonight. We don't know what tomorrow holds or the next five minutes, but God does. And so God said, hey, don't get bogged down with somebody who, is, who understands the truth. They, they know what it's saying. They're just choosing to reject it. They're, they're choosing to push it away and do it in such a way that, that they are, you know, it's just noticeable. You've discerned it, right? That's what the verse says right there in verse number seven. When thou perceivest, right? When thou comes to the understanding, when thou see, uh, like, under, it's, it's revealed in that sense, right? How many of you know that sometimes it takes more than just five minutes to get to know somebody? And so we see here tonight that, you know, he said when you begin to speak, and it's over and over and over again. The Bible says go find the next person. God doesn't want us wasting our time trying to win arguments. He's commissioned us to preach the gospel, right? You know, Jesus even told his disciples, listen, there's going to come points where you're going to have to dust your shoes off and go to the next city. 
Then you say, well, preacher, what, are we supposed to just write them off? Are we supposed to just uh, never talk? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about excommunication, but rather begin to pray, God, I, I, Lord, you're going to have to soften their heart. Lord, you're going to have to prick their heart. And Lord, you're going to have to bring them to the place where they desire the truth of your word. Lord, I can't do that, but you can. And Lord, while you're doing that, I'm going to continue on and, and find the next person that needs the gospel. Let me ask you tonight, are there some people you should be going from, but instead you keep going to them trying to win the argument? Let me ask you, when you win the argument, what happens next? What's, what's the end game here? I, I won the argument. Okay. It's wonderful. Now, I, I've, there's, there's some fellows on, on YouTube that I've, they, they go back forth and debate. They go into these college campuses and they debate students back and forth. And I've learned some interesting truth. And I, I've, I've come away with some, man, that's a good explanation. That's a good answer to that. But did you know the person they were talking to didn't come away with that attitude? And, and we, we see that tonight. So one of the things you have, I have to remind, I'm not called to win arguments. I'm not called to, 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 to straighten people out. Listen, I, Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I will make you fixers of men. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. And we see the practice of removal. Now, there's some people that you ought to be going from, but instead you keep going back trying to win the argument. Then notice number two tonight, the purpose of the wise. Look at verse number eight. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Notice the purpose of the wise person is to figure out what the purpose is. <laughs> Let me say that again. The purpose of a wise person is to figure out what the purpose is. Lord, why am I here? And Lord, what do you want me to do? To do. Let me ask you, did you ask God that question today? Lord, what do you want me to do? And oftentimes when we express that or we say that or we think about that, we're thinking 10 years, 20 years down the road, five years down the road, a year. Lord, what do you want me to do from a year from now? Five years from now. Can I say it's a lot more personal and it's a lot more real when you stop and say, all right, Lord, today. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to share the gospel? Lord, who do I need to speak to? Lord, who do I need to pray for? Lord, who do I need to encourage? Lord, who do I need to help? Lord, who do I need to bless? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Right, will you ask that question when you get up tomorrow? Well, so preacher, why is that necessary? Because Psalms 42 says that David said God had established his goings. Right, and the same is true for you and I tonight. God has established our goings. He has something he wants you to do today. Can I, can I let you in on that? Preacher, how do I get to the will of God in 10 years from now? By doing the will of God today. And there's some things tonight that we are expressly lined out to us in the word of God tonight. I'd encourage you to go home and type it into your search bar of your Bible app or, or in your, if you got the old-fashioned Strong's Concordance, go look it up in there and look up the phrase, the will of God. And there's some things tonight that, that they are the will of God for you to do every day. And everything by giving thanks unto God, for this is the will of God concerning you. And there's another one that says, for flee fornication, for this is the will of God for you. And so we see tonight, there's some things tonight that God wants us to do every day of our life. And when you begin to do the will of God in your daily life, and you begin to follow him on a daily uh, uh, routine and schedule tonight, he'll get you exactly where you need to be five years from now, if you're following him. So we see the purpose of the wise to figure out what their purpose is. If we don't, then if we don't get up and say, Lord, 
Let me fulfill your purpose today. Lord, what is my purpose for you today? Or what is, what is your desire out of my life today? If we don't get in the habit of doing that, then we have to ask ourselves, whose purpose are we fulfilling? If, we're not, if we don't know what his purpose is, and yet we find ourselves doing something, whose are we doing? Notice the second half of the verse kind of answers that question, but the folly of fools is deceit. The folly of fools is deceit. They chase after something that is deceitful. It's something they'll never achieve, or once they actually get what they think they wanted, they'll find out it's not what they wanted. I think it was John D. Rockefeller, somebody asked him, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? He said, just one more dollar. Just one, the man was a multi-billionaire back in the 1800s, and he said, I don't have enough money. We understand tonight if we're chasing anything and pursuing anything above the Lord tonight and above his purpose and desire for our life, once you get it, it ain't gonna be as good as he thought it was. It ain't gonna be all that you've been dreaming and thinking about. But can I say tonight when you and I step back and say, all right, Lord, what is my purpose for today? Lord, guide me, direct me, give me discernment. God, give me boldness. God, give me those things that I need to do your purpose today. And when you go to bed at night, can I say it'd be far better to be able to say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness instead of saying, well, I was a millionaire. Or I had this and I had that and I achieved this and I achieved that tonight. Can I say tonight, I, in my office tonight, I, I've got my, I've got my uh, Bible college graduation diploma. I was about to say certificate. Uh, but I got my diploma. Did you know that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to take that to heaven with me? The Lord's not going to say, wow, you graduated Bible college. You're something special up here. Right? That's, that's not how it's going to go, right? And, and, and my, 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 my heart's desire for my Bible college degree was not so I could say, look at my Bible college degree. Right, matter of fact, it just sits up in my shelf and uh, it just sits there. <laughs> it just, that's all it does. It doesn't ever help me with anything. It doesn't ever speak peace to my heart. It doesn't ever encourage me. It's just a piece of paper. But can I say tonight, that which I learned while I was there and, 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 and sitting in the classes and listening to the preaching, listening to the teaching, uh, that's helped me to understand that, that my purpose is not a piece of paper. My purpose is to serve the Lord. The same thing is true for you tonight. When's the last time you've asked that question, how often do you think about God's purpose for your life? God, what do you want me to do right now? At this moment, at this time, instead of saying, Lord, I, I would like to do this in the future, Lord, I'd like to do that in the future. Matter of fact, right before church, me and Brother Kurt were talking, we were talking about things we'd like to do and things we'd like to have about buildings and different things here at the church and dreaming and all that good stuff tonight. But can I say tonight that uh, we can talk about that all we want to, but what have we done today? Have we fulfilled God's purpose today? The purpose of the wise. The wise person finds out what their purpose is from God. Notice the practice of removal, the purpose of the wise. And notice number three, the mocking of sin. Mocking of sin. Look at verse number nine. Fools make a mock at sin. But among the righteous there is favor. Now, listen, I wholeheartedly believe tonight, and I think history backs it up, that America was established and founded by Christian people, that they desired a place to come and worship God and to do so freely without the interference of the state and all that wonderful stuff tonight. And I'm grateful tonight, those men that came and those, that faith that they had, and because we're here, you know, thousands of, or not thousands of years later, but a few hundred years later, we were able to continue on in that tonight and, and to worship God freely. But at the same time, I don't, I don't believe tonight that America was ever a place without sin. And the matter of fact, the more I read about history, I find out sin's always been here. 
Since 1776 and before, then sin has been here. Lewdness is nothing new. Drunkenness is nothing new. Immorality is nothing new. Matter of fact, matter of fact since the Garden of Eden and since, it's been here. And so tonight, I'm not saying America's ever been a perfect country or a sinless country, but tonight there was a time in our country where sin was dealt with as sin. It was looked at in the right perspective, in the right mind, not by everybody, but by the majority of the country. We knew things were wrong that were wrong and we were, weren't afraid to call them wrong, but now the, 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 the tables have changed in our society. Today we see blatant mockery of sin. Where people walk in the streets and, and proclaim how wonderful abortion is and how, how God is actually queer and how he's for homosexual marriage and when they just mock and mock and mock and mock and mock. So preacher, why do they do that? Well, the Bible tells us tonight, verse number seven, obviously, excuse me, verse number nine, obviously only fools will do that. Only a fool will mock it. So well, why does a fool mock at sin? Because it helps them feel better about themselves. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, what do you mean by, uh, you know, only the folks will do so. Why? If they, they make fun of it, how can it be wrong and convicting? Oh, it's so fun to do this, and that is so funny, and this is just wonderful, and this is great, and this is such a good time. And the reality is they're having to tell themselves lies because sin has always been sin, and sin is all, the way of the transgressor is still hard tonight. And so they, they openly mock it and make fun of it as a way to, to cope with it. And can I say that while we're out there looking at them, may we also find ourselves, might find ourselves doing the same thing. Uh, what do you mean by that? Hold on, we sometimes do the same thing as Christians. We act foolishly. We, we make lighthearted jokes about sin. We make, we make like our sin wasn't really that bad of a thing tonight. Well, it, killed, or it didn't kill, but it cost the Lord his life tonight. And so we ought to always take sin seriously. We ought to always look at it in, in a serious sense tonight and, and not make light of it because why, it doesn't make no sense for me and you to make fun of everybody else, get mad at everybody else out there and say, oh, it's all right for me to do that. See, because it goes on to say in verse number nine, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Among the righteous there is favor and some people think, well, favor is that God allows you to get away with sin. It's not what favor is. Favor is God enabling you and allowing you to serve. It's not getting away with sin. You, here's the thing. You'll never get away with sin. You never will. Why? Christ died for everyone. Every says he, he, he's, he died for it tonight, and so he's not going to allow you and I to get away with it. He's already paid the price in that sense. And it, what, what is favor? Is God helping you and I to stay away from sin? Now, how many have been, how many have jumped headfirst into sin? You've done something wrong and you found out there was grace there. You found out God forgives, he restores, and he, he brings you back into fellowship. We'd all say amen to that tonight. But can I say tonight, how many have also known that you had the opportunity and the means and the ability to do so, but you yielded to the Holy Spirit of God? And he kept you from jumping in like you did last time. He reminded you right before, he said, you don't have to do that anymore. You said, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yield to you. And he expressed and showed you that favor. It's not getting away with sin, but rather it is God helping us to stay away from sin. Let me ask you, is there some personal sin in your life that you haven't been taken as serious as you should and needs to be dealt with? Then notice number four tonight, the reality of personal issues. Look at verse number 10. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, 
in a stranger does not intermeddle or intermeddle with his joy. I read that verse and I said, Lord, what in the world's going on here? Or I, I, I get the first part in a sense, but Lord, what, what's the second part going on here? Well, they're both dealing with deep personal issues, right? Things that are personal to you that mean a lot to you. They weigh heavy on you. They are, they are, they are, you, you those things we talk about that, that nobody really else can understand. Nobody else really is necessarily going through at the moment. And, and they're, they're real personal to you. Difficult things that other people won't understand and good things that other people won't understand. You're going through a struggle right now and you're going through a difficult time and, and you, you could share it with somebody and they, they might, you know, be compassionate towards you and they, they might pray with you, but they can't feel what you're feeling, right? They, they, they don't understand the weight of it, right? There's been some things in my life and I've seen people go through different things and, and, and in my, my mind I thought, man, it sure has taken them a long time to get over that. It's taken them more than what I would have expected. And can I say that there are some things in my life that I've gone through, I'm pretty sure people said, man, it's always taken them a long time to get over that. Or taking him a long time to get over that. Why? It's just on a personal level. So the Bible right there in verse number 10 says, a heart knoweth his own bitterness, right? You're, you're, you know it is, you live with that, that, that. It's not saying having a bitter heart in that sense, but going through those things that are bitter, like a bitter taste in your mouth, so to speak. They're difficult to swallow. They're difficult to understand. But then the second half of that verse, there's good things that happen in your life that other people can't understand. Right? That you can't get it through to them in a way that they'll understand it. Just like when you go to a church service and sometimes we'll go to revivals and whatnot, Miss Becky's not able to make it and, and I'll, I'll try my best to explain to her what the preacher preached on. And normally I'll call up and I'll say, listen, it was probably one of the greatest messages I ever heard in my life. And she said, well, explain it to me. Well, you, 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 you just had to been there. <laughs> I, I can't preach it and tell it to you like he told it. But at the same time, you know, it was good. And it's, it's the same thing uh, maybe on your job site if you're, you know, a sole Christian there or, or in the minority there and, and you sit down at your work and what would you do? I went to church. Well, how was it? Well, it was good. The, the Lord met with us and he helped us and it was just a wonderful time. And, and you're, you're reminiscing, getting excited about it and they're just staring at you. Well, that's good, I guess. That's, that's good for you. But they can't comprehend it. Right, and so there's things that are difficult in our life that though other people want to help us, they really, they, they can't hop into your heart and do so. And there's good things in our life that when we try to tell other people, it does not come out the same way that it happened. And they're like, that's great for you, but I'm not fully grasping what you're trying to tell me. And you say, well, well then who do we turn to? Who do we express these feelings to and these thoughts to? Well, the Lord, amen, because he knows you. But not only that he knows you, but he knows what you're going through. Hebrews tells us, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And always was like, you know, was tempted like what you and I go through, yet without sin. And so he's been, what, been through what you've been through. He's experienced what you experienced. He, he knows how your heart is, whether it's good and it's bad. But do you know tonight there's some things that he went through 
in experience in experiences that you and I can't fully comprehend? Let me ask you tonight. Can you fully comprehend the weight of your sin? And then the sin of the entire world being cast upon you. That bitter cup that Christ took in the garden of Gethsemane as he accepted the, the sin debt of mankind. We can't, we can't fully grasp that. We can't fully understand that. But that's what he went through. And then on the same time, we rejoice in our salvation. We are, we are beyond excited that God would save somebody like me and somebody like you. And, and, and we, the parts that we do know and we do understand are wonderful but we can't even fully comprehend that either. And yet Jesus knows in the entirety of just how wonderful your salvation really is. And so we, we, we pray, Lord, I'm so thank you, thank you, Lord, for saving me. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I, I'm just so, I'm beyond myself that you would save somebody like me. And Jesus says, you have no idea how wonderful it really is, but I do. It's so the reality of personal issues. What peace are we forfeiting tonight because we will not bring something to God in prayer? He understands the difficult times and he fully understands when, when you begin to praise him and, and you begin to give thanks and you're, you're going down the road and you're about to cause a, a nine car pileup because you're beside yourself and, and you're just enjoying the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. You're saying, Lord, this is wonderful. He'll say, you don't even have a clue on how wonderful it really is. So we see the reality of person this is that, that God understands them all. Then notice number five tonight, we see the in view mentality. Verse number 11, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Now notice verse number two, there will always be a way that seems right to man. That word right means it seems correct. It seems straight. It seems agreeable. It seems good. But look at the end result. Verse number 12, we see it ends in death. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then we also see that it ends in defeat in verse number 11. The house of the wicked shall be what? Overthrown. That's being defeated tonight. If you and I are wrestling and I overthrow you, I've whooped you. And if you overthrow me, you've won and I've lost. I've been defeated. The danger of, of going away that, that just seems right. In essence, it, uh, it, Lord, this seems like the, you know, a, a good way to go. I remember there was a statement that changed a good bit of my Christian life when I heard it. It says sometimes the Christian life isn't always deciding between good and bad, but sometimes it's deciding between good and great or good and the best that the Lord has for us. And so here's the thing. Jesus never told us to find a way that seems good. Yeah, you, you pick three options and you just pick a, a good way and I'll oh, bless you, that's sometimes how we do. Lord, here's my options, here's, here's what is available to me, Lord, and I'm gonna pick this one because it seems the right one and so, I, Lord, I'm gonna need you to bless that. Or I'm gonna need you to get on board with me and, 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 and give me that what I need. Lord, it seems like a good way. Now notice here tonight, the Bible in verse number 12, it, it expressly says there is a way. John 14, what did Jesus say? I am the way. 
In essence, tonight, well, we understand, well, preacher, he's, he's expressing salvation. He's explaining to Thomas how to go where he was going, and he is tonight. But can I say, if he's the way of salvation, then he's the way in every other part of the Christian life tonight. He doesn't just, all right, now I'm no longer the way now that you're saved. No, he will always be the way. I wrote this down and said, the peace of God will never settle your heart over a way, but just the way. In essence, tonight, preacher, how do I make a decision? How, how, do I, how do I choose that which the Lord desires? I mean, well, there's prayer, there's, there's the word of God, and there's a verse that says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Right? Let, let the peace of God, in essence, let the peace of God arrest you onto the right position, the right choice, the right option. Somebody once said to me, and it's always stuck with me, it said, if you have no peace, or if you, have, if you don't have complete peace, say no. Say no. And one of the things I had to learn in my Christian life is that, that, that if I, <laughs> you won't have to let me pray about some things. Right? You're going to have to let me, give me some time. And I'm one of those people, if you back me into a corner and say, preacher, you've got to make a decision right now. I need your decision right now. 100% of the time, it's going to be no. I, 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 we want to do this. We want to do it right now. No. <laughs> Why? We need to pray about this thing. We need to make sure it's not just a, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I've, I've seen it in churches, we've, I've seen it here where there's something that is good that another church does. And well, if it works there, then it has to work here. We ain't prayed about it. We just said they got good results. Let's try it here for it just to go like this. <laughs> when we try it. And we see tonight that we have, what we have to do in our Christian life is to help us out and say, all right, this seems like a good way. Lord, let me see the end of it. Let me see where it's directing. What is the end result? What does it look like when it's, when it's all said and done tonight? Lord, because I don't want to pick a way that's going to lead me in the wrong direction. I want the way, the right way, the only way tonight. And Jesus, Jesus in, in, in John 14, he makes salvation that secluding statement where he, or excluding statement is probably a better way to say it. He said, it ain't in everybody else. It ain't anything else. I am the way. When's the last time you just stopped and said, Lord, what is the way for my life? Not, not just a good way, not just a, a, a commendable way, but Lord, what is the right way that you want me to go? Are you willing to trust God for the way so that you can experience an end that is flourishing, an end that is right. The Bible says, verse 11, the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Notice that word tabernacle there. That is, that is that Old Testament word, that is that Old Testament construction where God will meet with man. And so we understand tonight if we are going the way that God is going with, that God desires out of our life, then you and I are in step with God. Right, we are in fellowship with God. We are worshiping and, 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 and living and walking with God. Here's God, here we are. A picture of that tabernacle of God and man being together. And you can only find that in the way. The way that God desires for us to go. Are you willing to trust God for the way so that you can experience an end that is flourishing? I told you, these things are bite-sized. Just a, just a couple verses tonight. I, I gave you a handful of bite-sized truth. And I come to find out the more I chew on it, the bigger it gets. <laughs> it turns into king size real quick tonight. Let's pray.